host, Leah Sarah-Pierre, and welcome to my podcast, Pierre Med. I'm a Canadian medical student, human rights, global health, and social justice advocate, as well as just an ordinary human being. As of March 24th, 2021, the PMED podcast is an initiative affiliated with the PMED Foundation, an organization started and inspired by the very beginnings of these conversations. PMED's mission is serving humanity, connecting people, stories, and places. It is a platform that gives a voice to the voiceless, an ear to the helpless, and seeks to empower youth, physicians, and leaders far and wide. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to the Inclusive Care Project, an online learning community started by Ellie Reyes, designed specifically for Instagram in order to reduce the barriers faced in accessing knowledge across the world. It's meant to facilitate resource sharing and to provide, more importantly, a sense of community. Why is it that so many hospitals and universities continue to fall behind in LGBTQ education? Why are health professionals and students left without adequate training and knowledge on educational resources for LGBTQ health? Why is LGBTQ stigma still prevalent in healthcare? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, listen as I dive into discussion with Ellie and how she's tackling this very problem. Ellie Reyes is a diversity consultant and healthcare educator focused on helping health professionals develop culturally competent and LGBTQ inclusive practices. Her work is driven by the lack of LGBTQ training in healthcare and the health disparities that exist within queer, and Black, Indigenous, and Peoples of Color communities. Ellie has over 10 years of experience in advocacy and nursing, working with patients across marginalized communities. She's also served as a diversity officer on the board of the Canadian Bioethics Society. Ellie is the founder of the Inclusive Care Project, where she makes LGBTQ education accessible for healthcare professionals around the world. Welcome, Ellie, to the Pyramid Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start off. Why don't you tell me what the Inclusive Care Project is? How did it all begin? Well, the Inclusive Care Project is an online educational resource for health professionals who want to learn how to make their practices inclusive for LGBTQ and BIPOC folks. And uh, it all started um, when I was a nurse. So before... I did equity, diversity, and inclusion. I had a decade-long career as a nurse. And the day I decided I wanted to help educate healthcare professionals about LGBTQ health was the day that I misgendered a trans patient. So I was working at a busy fracture clinic at that time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was calling in patients from the waiting, from, from the waiting room. It was business as usual except for this day, except for this time when I went to the rating room and I called for Rachel, except I was met with Jake. 
Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, misgendered a patient, my own patient at the hospital. And, and to make things worse, when I wanted to correct my patient's name on his chart, there wasn't a place for me to correct it. And then when I told the doctor that Jake was transgender, he still called Jake Rachel. So, you know, that situation really made me look at my own blind spots and privileges as a cisgender person. I never really thought about how names and pronouns are so important or, or the barriers that trans people face in receiving healthcare. But that day made it very clear to me that, you know, I had a lot of work to do on myself and that so many other health professionals do too. And that's when I made it my mission to, to learn and to help <coughs> others learn too. Wow, that's really incredible, uh, Ellie. Very, very moving to to come across that experience and really inspire the whole work that you do. Um, I've noticed that the Inclusive Care Project is um, an educational platform on Instagram. So, why is Instagram? Or why has it been the main pl platform for your educational activism? I love Instagram. I think, you know, especially because LGBTQ training is so hard to come by, you know, not all schools provide it. And even when they do, it's only a few hours. I love how um, through Instagram, I can make education accessible um, to everyone, to people all around the world. You know, I have followers from Mexico, Australia, the UK, Pakistan, Dominican Republic. Um, and some of these places, um, LGBT, LGBTQ training is really um, scarce and even taboo. And what Instagram allows them to do is to reach these people wherever they are around the world, you know, wherever they are on their learning journey and from the comfort and safety of their home. Um, and what I really like to do is build community online because as you know, advocacy work isn't always easy. Um, and a lot of times, especially if you um, are a health professional and you're the only LGBTQ advocate that you know, maybe you're from a small town um, or maybe you're in a place that really isn't that inclusive, um, you know, it, it's hard to be an advocate when you feel like maybe you're the only one who's always speaking up. But by building community online and through Instagram, suddenly you have thousands of people who are with you, who are sharing the same passion for advocacy. Suddenly you feel less alone and you feel more empowered to speak up when you do witness homophobia or transphobia at the hospital. Um, and, and it's empowering to know that you have a group of people to support you um, and, and to have the confidence that you know you're making a difference. So that's what I really love about Instagram and also the fact that um, it's a platform where information is constantly being exchanged, right? So, you know, I create content that's engaging, that people can share with their friends, colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I hope that through the sharing, we're able to reach more people um, with information that could help them potentially save their patients' lives. I, I can for sure say the Inclusive Care Project is one of my favorite accounts on Instagram and the quality of the content Aww. and the information that I get from there as the medical student. It's been so inspiring to learn every day the content that you put on there. So I'm a huge fan. I would say <laughs> I would encourage everyone listening to this podcast to follow the Inclusive Care Project. Um, but moving on to the next question, Ellie, as a queer woman of color living on both sides of the healthcare spectrum or the system, how does this make you feel? Oh, well, that's, uh, you know, it's not easy. Um, 
as a queer person, you know, I know how scary it is to, to be able to enter these spaces in healthcare, not knowing if you'll be judged, um, not wanting to come out to a healthcare provider because, you know, I'm afraid of being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia in healthcare is real. Um, and I was only out to a select number of people when I was a nurse. And, you know, I saw the way my colleagues talked about LGBTQ people when we'd have patients who were trans or gay, you know, stereotypes would be thrown around, jokes would be thrown around. And that only reinforced the fact that this issue is systemic. And I realized it's not just me who's feeling unsafe, it's almost all of us. So I knew there needed to be a change. Mm -hmm. And so why has there been such little training offered to medical students and healthcare professionals about LGBTQ plus populations? Uh, well, I think healthcare is so behind in supporting LGBTQ people. Um, and it's easy to think, you know, how could that be? Because as health professionals, we're all about helping people. But when you look at it historically, you know, we quickly realize that for, for queer people, the reverse is, is actually true because we're talking about an institution that's pathologized us and medicalized us um, that has said, you're different from us. Something must be wrong with you. We need to fix you. And so if you look back at medical history, um, doctors used to perform lobotomies and electrocution therapy on queer folks just to try to change us. Right, so we have a, a long history of, of homophobia, transphobia, um, and it being taboo. And you know, you know, we're really not that far from it still. Um, homosexuality wasn't taken out of the DSM until 1973. And for transgender folks, um, it was only approved to be taken out of the DSM in 2019. So, you know, there's still a lot of stigma in the healthcare system. Why is it still part of this hidden curriculum? And why is it still taboo? And of, of course, by us um, being educators and informing the medical students and the healthcare community about how to treat and interact with LGBTQ plus populations, it is a step and a, a goal towards eradicating and alleviating this stigma that we face but how can we do something bigger? I, yeah, I think, um, just like I said, because uh, of our history, um, it's been so taboo, it's been medicalized, being queer is been medicalized and pathologized, and that still hasn't left our system. It still hasn't left um, the way we talk about health um, or our educational institutions that teach us how to talk about health. Mm -hmm. It's still there. Um, so, you know, I, I think um, that that's something we really need to work on as health professionals, especially because it is in our collective history, mm -hmm. the homophobia, the transphobia. Um, so, you know, I do really want to call on straight cisgender healthcare professionals who, who are working in the educational system to help correct things and to rewrite the wrongs that, um, that were brought upon, yeah, on LGBTQ people.
Definitely. And uh, similarly, I'm sure you're aware of, Ellie, there was, um, in taking into consideration Black History Month that just passed, there was uh, this whole issue of medical racism. And mm -hmm. in, uh, in, a, in a pathology dermatology book on different types of skins and how prone they are to different conditions, the way Kawasaki disease presents on somebody of, uh, of white origin versus somebody of Black um, origin is completely different. And this has caused healthcare professionals throughout history to um, cause a lot of damage to interacting with patients that have been of, of African descent, where they didn't recognize the disease, the signs and the, and, and the symptoms, which was really frustrating, um, which goes back to how the history and the way that these medical textbooks have been written have not mm -hmm. been really written from a point of view that is inclusive. And so what role does systemic discrimination and its effects on social determinants of health have on LGBTQ plus populations specifically? The LGBTQ population has significant health disparities. Um, we have higher rates of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, suicide, substance misuse. Um, a lot of folks are of lower socioeconomic status. Um, but what the, the important thing to remember is that these disparities don't exist because people are gay, they exist because of systemic homophobia. Mm -hmm. and these disparities, you know, they don't exist because people are trans, they exist because of systemic transphobia. And for queer people of color, the double discrimination occurs not because of uh, race, but because of systemic racism. Um, and so if we look at it, um, the social determinants of health, the World Health Organization actually estimates that 30 to 55% of health is influenced by the social determinants of health. That means that up to over half of an individual's health is shaped by social and economic factors, right? So, mm -hmm. so we're talking about uh, the, the social determinants of health are, are the conditions in which we live in, right? So physical environment, housing, food security, access to healthcare, job security, education, um, the problem is there's an unequal distribution of resources, money, and power going towards them. And, and that's because uh, they're shaped to favor, you know, straight, white, cisgender folks. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, you know, we get discrimination built into our social, economic, and political systems. And, and you get that systemic discrimination that we see, um, which poses barriers to basic needs. So for instance, um, for queer people, Sometimes coming out at work means you you might be demoted, you might um, lose your job, and that impacts someone's well-being. It impacts you know mental health, it, it, and uh, you know if you lose your job or you get demoted, it affects your ability to pay rent or even have a roof over your head. It affects your ability to go to school or to have access to healthy food or to have family and friends. Um, who supports you. So it all just comes together. Um, so I think it's really important for us to understand that um, it's, it's a systemic issue and we really need to eradicate systemic homophobia um, so that we can have, um, you know, healthy LGBTQ people and, and, and support their health and well-being. Definitely. And um, everything you say, Ali, is so true. The system really needs to change. And a lot of the, the effects that these populations face, these populations of people face, is due to the way that society has put the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so a, as a particularly vulnerable patient population, LGBTQ plus training and the professional attitudes of healthcare workers can really make a difference. So have you seen this in your practice maybe or in the past where the inclusive environment made a difference? For example, I think one of the days on uh, Instagram, you had mentioned uh, coming across uh, a patient who was filling out a form and um, because they had the option to select non-binary, um, seeing that that imp implementation was made in the system kind of made your day, um, if I get the story correctly. Yes, of course. Um, it's really important for us to be inclusive and establish a safe environment for our patients, and it really, really makes a difference. So, in that example that you spoke to, you know, you spoke about um, a lot of our uh, forms in healthcare, a lot of our intake forms simply just say male or female. But the the problem is there aren't just male or female genders. There's a whole variety of different genders, and so for someone who isn't male or female. Um, to, to fill out a form and not see yourself represented, that has a lot of repercussions like on your mental health, on your well-being, and how you see yourself as a person. Mm -hmm. And so having the option of different genders, including non-binary, really affirms that person and, and helps them to feel included and, and safe and accepted. Yes, exactly. And so, Ellie, can healthcare for LGBTQ plus individuals only be served by LGBTQ plus healthcare professionals? Um, healthcare is a human right. So, I think doctors should be able to provide competent care to everyone, not just the majority. And the problem is, we've picked and chosen who we think we should be able to have. Uh, who we think should be able to have care. So instead of all genders, we have a system only built for two genders. Instead of providing care um, to the full spectrum of sexual orientations, we've created a system built for only one, for straight people. So it's exclusionary and, and discriminatory. So as we continue to have these conversations as health professionals, we need to ask ourselves if it aligns with our values to pick and choose who deserves access to competent care and if the education and the training we take reflects those values. Mm -hmm. And should patients reserve the right to be served by just an LGBTQ plus healthcare professional if they prefer? And then what about a non-LGBTQ plus healthcare professional? In an ideal world, all healthcare providers should be competent. Uh, they would be competent and we wouldn't have to feel afraid to get care as LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. But you know, the reality is homophobia and transphobia in healthcare is real, discrimination is real, and the fear of seeking medical help is real. Mm -hmm. um, it goes so far as, you know, some people don't even want to go to the doctor because they're afraid of the discrimination. And this is particularly uh, you know, an issue in the trans community. Yeah. Um, who people don't want to go because they're just so afraid of being discriminated against. So I do believe that LGBTQ people should be able to request an LGBTQ provider um, if it's possible. And the reason is it's about creating a safer, a safer space for our patients. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And how can we equip medical students with the necessary skills, training, and knowledge related to LGBTQ plus competency in healthcare? 
I think we need to advocate for more training and make, um, make it mandatory, both in schools and in workplaces. We need structural change in our educational and healthcare institutions, and it's got to come from the top down, right? So um, as much as I love being able to provide training online and through inclusive care projects, um, it's really important for the institutions themselves to have these trainings. When we receive you know, medical training, nursing training, healthcare professional training, we don't have to wonder if we're going to get training for men and for women, right? Like that's mm -hmm. just standard practice. We learn about both genders, but you know, why are we only learning about two genders when there are many, many more, right? It shouldn't really even be a question. So I think um, we really need to push for, for change in the educational institutions and to rewrite curriculum to reflect the full spectrum of diversity we have in our schools um, and, and to make these uh, trainings, you know, mandatory and standard. And what role does implicit bias and explicit bias have and how do we reduce these biases? A lot of health disparities exist because of bias, both implicit and explicit, and explicit, and they harm our patients. And um, you know, I think especially as healthcare professionals, you know, where we pride ourselves on helping people and healing people, this can be a particularly hard thing to look at. So, some common biases in healthcare that we see um, are that transgender and non-binary people are, are mentally ill or black people can tolerate more pain than white people, or low-income patients are less intelligent, or people of color are less likely to adhere to medical advice. So we all know that these are not true, and yet these biases exist. Um, you know, and I add race in there because we know that queer people of color have that added layer of discrimination. So, you know, when talking about these things, we have to look at the intersectionality of all the different identities of queer people. And so these biases, you know, they can be explicit or implicit, but regardless, they have real consequences for our patients. So for instance, in a study by Lambda Legal regarding transgender patients, 15.4% mm -hmm. of surveyed transgender and non-binary patients said healthcare providers refused to touch them or used excessive precautions. Mm -hmm. 20 point, right? It's, it's Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it's almost as if as if they forget that the person in front of them is human. Exactly, exactly. And we know that, you know, we're all human and we all deserve competent care. Exactly. And Ellie, you were going to mention a, another statistic before I interrupted you? Oh, um, no, just 20.3% also said that health professionals blame them, you know, for their health status. Um, and, and uh, you know, 20.9% said health professionals use harsh or abusive language. And 7.8% said health professionals were physically rough or abusive. Um, and so, you know, sometimes these biases are, are conscious. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're not. But, you know, we can see how these biases, regardless, contribute to health disparities and how they play a role in the entire patient-physician interaction, which has exactly. long-lasting impacts. These patients that are facing these harsh realities by 
by their interactions with these providers, these have long lasting repercussions on their mm -hmm. mental health, social well-being, and even how they even view the entire medical system. Exactly. So, and if, if a patient is facing this, this really deters them from coming back to that same clinic or even seeing another potential provider who can help them way better than the previous one. Exactly. So these are really issues that we definitely do need uh, to tackle. Um, but what causes the disparities in care besides a lack of specific education and training for healthcare workers? I think just being in a system or living in a system um, where we value heteronormativity, heteropatriarchy, white supremacy, cissexism, you know, this is our dominant culture. Mm -hmm. And when we live in these, when we live in our in these cultures, um, you know that plays into our biases. That plays into how we interact with people. So that even when we do have training and we do have education, sometimes you know those those, those ideals um, just go unchecked, and you see those disparities continue to perpetuate. Definitely. And I also feel like as medical students, as healthcare professionals, we need to be educating ourselves about the issues our communities face. Medical students need to take it up or have like some type of ownership to, for themselves to, to learn more about the different types of people that they potentially can interact with. Yes. And Ellie, what are some initiatives that you take on to lead to ensure health equity and greater awareness in the medical community? Um, I know you're a speaker, you host a variety of workshops and trainings. Um, so why don't you tell me about it? Sure, yeah. So I do talks, I do trainings and workshops um, for universities, for hospitals, for clinics. And I also offer um, workshops for individuals online and, and through inclusive care projects. And so some of the things I, I talk about, um, some of the classes that I offer, um, is an introductory class to LGBTQ people, an introduction to sexual orientation and gender identities. Um, I have a course on health disparities um, so that we can help health professionals understand how systemic um, homophobia and transphobia play into the health of our patients. That, that's amazing, Ellie. Like the work that you're doing really is inspiring to me and um, really does have the effect of really changing the medical curriculum in, in Canada and, and across the world. Um, but what are some resources and books you recommend to our, to our listeners to better equip themselves with greater professional confidence serving LGBTQ plus populations? If you could just name a few or if you have a list. Um, sure. Yeah, well, one of my favorite websites um, is the National LGBTQIA plus Health Education Center um, by Fenway. Um, and it's such a great resource. They have topics, they, they have topics um, on everything. They cover transgender health, they cover um, health for queer people of color, they have topics on bisexuality and for lesbian people. So really whatever questions you have, a lot of times you can find them answered um, at that website. It's www.lgbtqiahealtheducation.org. 
um, really one of my, my favorite um, resources online. Um, and in terms of books, if you uh, are into reading, my favorite right now is called The Remedy. The Queer and mm -hmm, The Remedy, Queer and Trans Voices on Health and Healthcare. Um, it's a compilation um, of different articles and edited by Zena Sharman, who is a Canadian. Okay. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's really great because um, it really gives perspective on healthcare from queer and trans people. From, from their perspective and also from queer and trans people of color and bring that intersectionality in. Those are fantastic resources, Zoe. Thank you so much for providing those to, to listeners who can really benefit um, when they want to further their, their education and knowledge about the specific uh, area of, of information. Um, but how can listeners or those listening in contact you and where can they find you? You can find me at ellireyes.com or at inclusivecareproject.com. So please come and join us because we're a community of health professionals. We love supporting each other. Um, and there's gonna be lots more workshops coming up in the next little while. That, that sounds amazing. And so what's next for the Inclusive Care Project? Are there any future up future trainings up and coming or any upcoming plans, Ellie? I know on Instagram you mentioned um, an anti-Asian racism workshop upcoming, if I'm correct. Yes, so uh, we have an anti-Asian racism workshop coming up. I'm going to be hosting it with Jenna Tenyuk. Um, uh, it's going to be, you know, a time of reflection, especially given what's happened in the past uh, week. Um, you know, right now we, in the middle of COVID, there's been a rise in anti-Asian racism. And so we really want to address that and, and help um, give people tools to, to become better allies. So that's going to be coming up. Um, I also have an, um, an unconscious bias training coming up this month, uh, next month um, with Christine of at Artful Psych on Instagram. And she mm -hmm. is, um, uh, she's a therapist, an art therapist. So it's gonna be really great because we're gonna be exploring our biases through art and through creative wow. exploration. That sounds fantastic, Ellie. Um, these are exciting plans and I'll be for sure watching and learning from the Inclusive Care Project. Um, but I just want to take this time to thank you so much wholeheartedly for coming onto the PMED podcast, for conversing with me and for discussing and advocating uh, about this population and the LGBTQ plus population and the disparities they face and for being a diversity and in inclusion um, specialist and for educating those millions of medical students and healthcare professionals who really need this vital knowledge in order to better serve the community. So thank you so much, Ellie. And thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the PMED podcast. It means the world to have a supportive audience from 20 plus countries and counting. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to stay updated. Feel free to share it with friends and family. And more importantly, please follow the Inclusive Care Project. The platform offers health professionals and students a non-judgmental and inclusive space to learn, ask questions, and allows them to connect with other LGBTQ plus allies. For further information, follow us on social media or email us at peermedfoundation at gmail.com. We here at Peermed are excited to bring you new content, stories, and conversations 
week in and week out. We cannot wait to see our new and familiar faces here back each episode. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy.